welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. So our next couple are Mir and Hadessa. They live in New York. Hadessa has been in SA for over two years, and Mir has been a member of SNR for one month shy of two years. They both broke the steps through the big book and are sponsors in the program. Man, Hadessa, please take it away. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you so much, Nigel. Uh, it's really an honor to be to be here and to be amongst uh, everyone that's here and everyone else that's shared before us and after us. Um, <clears throat> I made a decision not to appear. I'm hoping just to speak uh, in a quick 12 minutes, recap a little bit of, uh, of my journey. Um, so really my... I, I thought I grew up in an extremely healthy and normal home um, until I started, you know, looking back and realizing that a lot of my childhood really prepared me uh, to be uh, an Essanon and to be a codependent. Um, I grew up in a home where we definitely were taught to keep secrets, keep a lot of secrets. Um, we were taught to, you know, tip the toe, especially around my mother. Um, because anything can, you know, send her flying. So, you know, we, there were times where we hid bills, you know, from her, like my father, like, let us know if you came home first and there's a bill in the mail, like, bring it to me. Don't let her see it. Um, when, when he was struggling financially, um, my mother with my youngest brother went through postpartum and I was in seventh grade and throughout seventh grade, I think I ended up going to school for about a month or two. Um, because my brother, I felt like my brother's life was in danger and I stayed home and I was the only one that, and no one stopped it. Like not my father, no one. I stayed home from school almost a year in seventh grade just to protect my new baby born brother. Um, cause I, there were times where my mother would hang him over like the banister and like say, I'm going to drop him. Like it was, so I really, really grew up in a, uh, in a crazy environment. Um, and. I watched my father take a lot of verbal abuse um, and never stand up for himself or anything. Um, and I always, I, I became a people pleaser because that was the way of just making sure that everything stayed calm was just to, you know, make sure that my mother was happy no matter what it was. And then things would be calm in the house. So, you know, fast forward to, to meeting my wife. Um, we met uh, about 12 years ago. And, you know, right from the beginning, really, there was a lot of signs um, that I missed that I didn't pay attention to. Um, you know, maybe I just didn't care about, you know, because I, I was such a, you know, codependent and I was, you know, just trying to please her as well and not, you know, rattle anything. So I would never say anything. Um, I, I think we were like brand new dating and I, I walked into a pizza store and I saw her sitting with another guy and. She had like excuses and I was always gaslit about any time there was anything going on. Um, you know, I was really, really just 
you know, told that like, oh, it's you, it's in your head, it's not true. You know, I, I would see her flirting or checking out other guys, and she would tell me, it's you, it's in your head. You know, this is your insecurity. Um, nothing to do with me. Um, you know, you gotta work on your own issues. And I, and I, you know, you start believing it. You hear it enough times. Um, you start believing that maybe you know you're crazy. Um, but I, I still, I never. In my family, there is no addiction. I never had exposure to the world of addiction. I grew up in a very, very religious home. So I never even knew that there could be anything, you know, going on. I I didn't know. Um, she was honest with me when we met her that she was sexually abused um, as a child. So a lot of stuff I just told myself, like, maybe this is what happens when someone's abused. So, like, you know, it, it is what it is. I didn't realize that there could be anything else besides that. Um and then in uh, July, you know, two years ago, um, I was talking to my wife on the phone and I'm skipping, obviously, many years of, uh, of stuff that were going on. But, you know, in I basically I was I was part of, you know, the whole marriage was was up until then was her acting out. Um, and she called me. We were talking and she says that she wants to get a divorce. And I'm like. I literally hung up the phone. I was punching the walls and I'm like, what the hell? Like I stuck by this woman for eight years, nine years through everything that she did through cheating, through manipulation, through using me, through putting me down. And she's asking for a divorce and she's the one in essay. I was blown away. I was so angry. So what I did was I joined Essanon to figure out how to fix her. I wanted to, I, I had no issues, obviously. I was perfect. So I was just joining us on to learn what to do with a woman in SA. Like, how do I fix her? How do I, what do I do with this? Because this makes no sense. So I joined the SNN, um, And in the beginning, I didn't know that there was men in SNN. So I was in the meeting where I was the only man. It's just a bunch of women. Um, I never turned on my camera. I never shared, never said anything. I felt very uncomfortable. I felt like it was obviously a waste of time. Like, men don't share feelings like all these women are sharing feelings this is so weird i'm never going to do that because i don't talk i never share my feelings i i was taught from a young age to keep everything inside so i was never going to share especially not with strangers um and then actually my wife through her sponsor told me that there's something like there's men in snn um and i got to reach out to kevin and start join the men in snn which that literally saved my life um and that's where I came to realize that I'm here to, to fix myself. I'm here to, to fix my issues. And what happens with my wife is, is none of my business. Um, and I had to learn a lot of hard stuff about myself that I didn't realize and a lot of issues that I had that I didn't realize. And also things that I came to assume were truths because of what I lived through, you know. So, and I think it can be confusing um, for me, it was as someone um, in Sanan that I started, you know, I didn't realize that I thought that sex meant love. Right. And I and then that's not making me think like, wait, maybe I'm a sexaholic because that's what I think. But that's what I was taught. And I thought that I had the best marriage because we were having sex the whole time. My wife would call me, come home from work. You know, I want to have sex. And I thought like, oh, this is amazing. Obviously, she loves me. You know, she wants to be with me. Um, granted, most of the time while that was happening, um, 
yeah. Well, most of the time while that was happening, you know, um, she would be watching porn on her phone while we were being intimate or what I thought was intimacy. Um, I, you know, but I had, I was just clueless. I'm like, okay. I just kept blaming all that stuff on her trauma, her childhood trauma. Um, I still, I still didn't see like the problem. I didn't realize how much it was being ingrained in me that I thought intimacy equaled sex and that I thought that the only way I know that she loves me is if she, if she's sexual, if she's touching, if she's physical, otherwise, obviously I'm not loved. Um, so I had to, I had to really learn all these things, come to understand it, and then come to realize that I've got problems that I need to work on. Um, and I can no longer focus on her. Um, cause that's what I was doing. I was, I was focusing all my attention on fixing her and not realizing that, that I've got my issues. Um, and it, it's freeing, you know, the, we come from a religious home and I, I tried to control and manipulate how she would dress, whether it was modest or not modest. I would make comments. I would tell her, you can't do this. You have to do this. Um, I, I didn't realize how unhealthy it was. I didn't realize that like her religion, whatever she does between her and God has nothing to do with me. Even if I believe in my heart that what's going on she's doing is, um, is wrong that it still has nothing to do, uh, you know, with me, like it doesn't make a difference. This is her life. We're allowed to be married. We're allowed to be together. We're allowed to be in love without, without me being exactly the same, whether it's in religion, whether no matter what it is, we don't have to be, um, exactly the same. And that was, it was really, uh, an eye opener, um, to, to learn that I don't, I don't have to be controlling and, and manipulating. Um, and it really started, it, it became very freeing. It became for me to be able to work the steps, um, not just go to meetings, started working the steps. Uh, then I started doing the steps through the big book um, to be able to actually work the steps and focus on myself. That in itself brought so much to our relationship and it, it, it made us closer. And we've been, um, we've been uh, abstaining for almost two years now um, because we both need the time to recover, to, to figure out what's right for us, but also because we needed to learn that sex is not intimacy. It's not, it has nothing to do with intimacy. We, I, we found ourselves feeling so much more connected through things that were not sex that I never could have believed was possible. We went on vacation it was so freeing. We went to another country, went to Israel together and going away on vacation, knowing that sex is not on the table was the best feeling in the world. I know it sounds weird and I'm a young guy and I shouldn't be saying that. It was the best feeling in the world because we were able to just go and enjoy ourselves, just go and have, and really just be there to live the moment, to, to, to share together an experience that was healthy. And the intimacy that we felt on that trip was, was insane. And there was no touching. And it's just, we, you know, we'll, we'll do day nights. Like, you know, a lot of people have shared. We were able to incorporate small things that are so much more intimate. I'm able to see that if she's, you know, there are things that she can do for me, you know, whether it's letting me, you know, go take a nap. So I'll watch the kids. Anything small, that's love. These are signs of love that I never knew existed. 
and that, and that I missed because I was so focused on her, not realizing that my own ego was getting in the way, my own fears, um, which really, I want there are, now if I feel, you know, if I feel triggered or something, I'm able to stop and think in my head and realize that most of it comes from ego for me. In my experience, it's, it's crazy how much so much of the fear, which is obviously it's not true, especially not anymore. Um, and still, those it's my ego. It's my fear that it's my insecurities. And I've learned to not take that out on Hadassah. I've learned that it's okay for me to feel a certain way. It, um, it doesn't mean that it's, that it's facts. And it doesn't mean that I need to now blame her, obviously, or anything like that. I'm able to turn to my people, use my program, work on it, and able to, and because of that, our relationship has grown because I'm no longer blaming her for my insecurities. I'm no longer accusing her of doing things which she's not doing. I'm no longer, you know, trying to manipulate a controller or, or make, you know, threats or anything. I'm able to really take a step back, um, but it wasn't easy and it's not perfect. And obviously we still struggle at times and we're, we're not living the perfect life. But my life ha is a lot better today than it ever was. That I can say 100%. And it's only getting better. So I know we, we still have work to do. And we're both willing to do the work. Because without the work, it's not going to happen. We can't just show up to meetings. We have to really, really work on the marriage every single day um, to, to restore that intimacy, to, to just learn as if we're brand new, as if we're young kids starting out again. Um, but because we're willing to do it, because we're honest with each other, um, it's really it's really changed. And because I was able to come to SNR and be taught and, and learn from everyone else's experience that I have my own issues, and to be able to be honest about it and open and not not push that away, and to be able to agree to hear from other people and work on myself, um, and that's all I do now. I, I just focus on myself. I know she works a program. I don't ask her questions anymore. I don't stay home in the fear that she might self-harm or something else. I'll still go on my own vacations. I'll still do my own thing. I, I live my life because I know that I cannot control hers. And whatever's meant to happen will happen no matter what I do. I, I, could, I could prevent a relapse today. It might happen tomorrow. It's not in my hands whatsoever. But I do know what's in my hands is for me to be the healthiest version of me. So that way, whatever happens in my life, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, I'm healthy. I'm stable. I'm in a good place, I'll be able to deal with whatever comes my way. And for me, that has really, really helped me to just focus on myself, work the program on myself, stay out of her lane. Um, and I, I believe that for me, it really worked miracles. But that'll pass. So sharing. Hi, I'm Elsa, sexaholic. Just to start and lead with my weakness, I'm currently shaking. Um, I've been literally on my knees like maybe five or six times before getting on to this meeting. Talking in public is not my favorite thing to do. And I, I'm just asking once more that God speak for me and that I am just a vessel to share what was so freely given to me. So with that, um, wow. So I'm going to share in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So what, what was it like? I grew up in a very, very, very unhealthy home, a home that was full of incest, uh, addiction, drugs, alcohol, uh, physical violence, 
Um, it was in not a rare occurrence that there was a lot of uh, chasing with knives and, you know, bottles and choking and just a lot of uh, aggression happening all around me. Um, I learned from a very, very young age that sex was a way to control and manipulate everyone around me. And I used that to my advantage. I used it from the age of six until I met my husband. In every single situation that I could, I would use sex to manipulate and control men, women, adults, children around me. And I succeeded for a very, very long time. I got whatever I needed through manipulating with sex. And um, as a result, I became a raging sexaholic. Um, I was acting out for the better part of my life. And um, I don't know if I can even remember a time that I had a relationship that was healthy. All of my relationships were very, very, very distorted and very, very, very um, dangerous and, and scary and exhilarating. Um, I remember uh, meeting my husband. Uh, we met actually in a hospital in Israel. Uh, there was a family emergency and he was volunteering at the time in the hospital. And he met me while I was surrounded by a bunch of men. That should have been his first clue. And it was not. Our relationship started off as a conquest. I thought it was a game. He was the only guy who wouldn't give me attention. So I made it my business to make sure he did. And uh, so began a very, very, very unhealthy sexaholic marriage. Uh, many times he asked me to show up for him in different ways. And uh, I couldn't because I was busy cheating on him with somebody else. And uh, I broke him. I broke him in ways that I'm ashamed to admit ways that I wish I could change. I broke him in ways that still make me shiver and shake. Um, but if somebody would ask me today if I regret the past, the answer would be no. Because at the end of the day, it brought us to this moment. It brought us to a relationship and a connection that I've never experienced in my entire life. I never in my life had somebody who saw me so deeply as he sees me today. So I wish, I just wish I would have known about SA maybe a few years earlier, because maybe I wouldn't have made mistakes that I, that are now mistakes that we have to constantly work on to rebuild our life together. Um, I'm not going to go into too many details. I'm going to try not to read off of my notes, but I'm going to share a little bit about what my understanding of intimacy is and what it looks like for us today. So in step two, it says we came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore us to sanity. So when it says the, the word restore there, it kind of alludes to the fact that we're, we're trying to get to something that we once had, right? Like the sanity that maybe we once had. But the truth is, is that in my life, I never had sanity right? Like I was in active addiction since I was a young kid. So for me, like, what is this, this concept of rest restoration mean? So I thought about it. And what came up for me was this idea that restoring myself to like restoring my marriage to intimacy really is that like fundamental core belief, right? And that we write about in our sex ideals not the fantasy, not the high, not the sexaholic in us, not the thing that we were chasing. It's the real 
core wants, the, the real core connection that we really were seeking the whole time in active addiction. We didn't see it because we were covering it up with layers and layers of acting out. But at the, at the core of it, this exaholic just was looking for a deep rooted connection, just somebody to see her, somebody to validate, someone to make her feel safe. And for me, that's the restoration. That's the, restoring myself to intimacy in that way is being with a partner who can see me, can hold me and can hold space for me. And I can honestly say that sitting beside me is that person. You know, we came into our marriage and he was a stranger. We didn't know anything about each other. We thought we loved each other, but really we loved ourselves. We were feeding ourselves. The whole, I mean, I could speak for myself. I was feeding myself the entire time. And today I can honestly say that I'm sitting beside somebody who is my best friend, who's the person I want to share with, who's the person I want to call when I'm struggling, who's the person I want to message when I have a victory, who's the person I want to celebrate my sobriety with. And that to me is a huge, huge, huge miracle. So for me, like, I need to let go of my old ideas. For a very, very long time, I held on to this idea that Hollywood and, and lust and the glamour of what Hollywood portrays was love. And for me, in order to be sober, I needed to let go completely of those ideas and recognize that that is not at all what intimacy is. Um, you know, a good example of this is that a little while ago, my husband went to a trip to Europe in the past him going out of the country would have been like the most exhilarating and exciting time for me. It would have been a time for me to find a way to cheat or to manipulate or to lie or to hide. And what was so, so, so incredible for me to see was not only did I need him, but I wanted him. I wanted him. I wanted my husband. I missed him. And I never in my life thought that we would get to that point. There were times where I couldn't even stand being in the same room as him because the idea of having any sort of connection scared me so much that I would do anything possible to push him away. And that for, for sure is like a huge, huge, huge miracle. I used to think in early recovery, like in the beginning, I was standing at the bottom of the mountain. I had this like kind of innocence about me of what recovery was. You know, you put down the drug, you stop lusting, and your marriage is going to be restored. Yay, a magic button. I now stand in the middle of the mountain, and that is not at all the case for me. I've realized that it is not just a two-step process. I can't just put down the drug and assume that the damage that I caused to this marriage is just going to be fixed overnight. I need to put down the drug and work my ass off to restore this marriage. The same way all the small things that I did to blow it up, I need to pay attention, give it attention, give it love, nurture it, show up, go to my meetings, work my steps, listen, listen to what he's saying, acknowledge the betrayal trauma that I've caused him and, and work a really, 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 really hard program, you know? I used to think that mayor's love would be unconditional, which means 
I can say, do, or act in any sort of way, and Mayor has to stay with me. Because if she didn't, then she obviously doesn't love me, right? And I learned that codependency has nothing to do with love. And that was a, a, a rude awakening for me, learning that true love and true intimacy is actually creating boundaries with your partner and having your partner hold down a boundary and not push that boundary because he needs to feel safe. And that, in fact, his love for me was more so because he was putting up those boundaries. I never grew up with boundaries, so I didn't understand that concept. Um, it's possible we have, uh, sorry. So one other thing I, I wanted to say is that like also obsessing about what will happen and what will be the end of our story is really holding on to the old ideas. I need to let go of that. Like, like Mayor shared before, yeah, we have been absent aside for one or two incidents that we've had since my sobriety date. We haven't been able to be sexually, you know, connected in that way. And that's okay. Obsessing about that, needing to know if it's going to change, all of that is holding on to the old ideas. For me, I need to stay present and in the moment and focus on today and what our connection looks like today. Um, intimacy is physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. And intimacy needs to be fostered daily. It takes a lot of time and intentionality. I have moments where two truths are, are true at the same time. I'm terrified. I'm scared. I want to run. I want to self-sabotage. And I want to do everything to ruin the marriage. At the same time, all I want is for him to see me and to hold space for me and to tell me that he's here and that I don't have to do those things today. You know, I looked up the the, the dictionaries, uh, in the, what you say? <laughs> the definition, <laughs> the definition of what intimacy means in the dictionary. And it says a close familiarity or friendship or closeness. And it says nothing about sex. So in order to achieve, achieve that closeness, I need to build uh, intimacy with self. So for me, what intimacy with self looks like and it's something that I'm still very, very, very much working on and struggling with. Um, it means sitting in the quiet. It means listening to the little girl inside of me, little Hadassah, who I've been neglecting for so many years. It's listening to those feelings, those emotions, validating them, accepting them, not judging them, and just allowing space for, for whatever comes up to just be in that space. And even to take it a step further, sometimes sharing those things with him, because sometimes it's the only way for him to understand what's going on inside of me, right? Like for a long time, I, I assumed that he was a mind reader, that he can understand when and where things were happening for me. And the truth is, is he can't do that. He needs for me to communicate what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, what's triggering for me. In healthy relationships, disagreements are an opportunity to understand each other better and to help each other meet others' needs. In unhealthy relationships, disagreements threaten the entire relationship, and there's a distorted belief that for one, for one person's needs to be met, the others will be neglected. I, I held on to that belief for so long. I thought that if I assert, you know, not assert, assert the wrong word, but like if I spoke what what my needs were in that moment that somehow that would be stepping on mayor's toes and vice versa if he 
somehow told me that this is a boundary. That means he didn't love me. And it, it's really, it was really based on old ideas. Um, so for me, I learned also that intimacy is about truth. It's about realizing that I can show up to my partner and say, this is who I am. This is me. This is all of my character defects. These are all of my flaws. These are all of my traumas. And for him to respond, I see you. I want you in your space. For so long, I believed I needed to hide those parts of me because if I didn't, everyone would run. And for a very long time, I challenged that. Mayor didn't talk about the insanity of our first year of marriage, where every time we fought, I ran. I physically ran out of our home and the marriage was over for me. I was getting divorced. When we were dating, anytime we had a disagreement, I broke up with him until one day he said enough. And that was the day I stayed. I wasn't used to anyone seeing me for all of my character defects for my shortcomings and for someone to stay and to someone to hold me and say, I love you anyway. That's intimacy. That has nothing to do with sex. Here are some things that I like to do to incorporate intimacy into my marriage. Every morning before mayor goes to work, I wish him a good day. I wish him a good morning when he wakes up. Throughout the day, I choose at least one time to pick up the phone and call him and share one thing that happened to me at work so that there is some sort of connection because life does get busy. We have children, we have jobs and things get hectic and it is important for us to connect. We'll say goodnight to each other every single night. We'll never go to sleep in the middle of a fight. When we do have an argument, we try very, very hard to talk in the eye. This is how I feel. This is how I heard it. This is what I'm hearing. We'll try very, very hard not to interrupt each other. You know, my therapist taught me a long time ago to, during an argument, to time ourselves. I share my stuff. And when I'm done, when the timer's up, he gets to respond and vice versa. Because arguments and fights used to be I used to throw things. I used to curse him. I used to take every single one of his insecurity and magnify them. Today, we don't have to do that. We can just communicate. We try as best as we can to go on date nights. Unfortunately, our life is very busy, so we don't always uh, manage to do that. But when we can't do that, I make sure that there's dinner for him, not because that's an obligation, because I want to. I want him to come home from work, and I want there to be dinner for him. I try to stay up if he's staying out late so that he can say goodnight to me when he gets home. And we share each, each other's victories and recovery. We're both uh, really grateful that we're sponsors today. And Mayor really works a strong SNR program. And very often I need his advice with some of my sponsees. So obviously without breaking anybody's anonymity, without sharing names, I ask Mayor for help very, very often. That was something that my sponsor had recommended to me, and it was the best gift because it brought connection through commonality. I learned to respect him through the thing that saved me, my recovery. So I think I'm just going to end off with this. When there are no boundaries, there is no safety. And without safety, there is no intimacy. I'm really grateful that I get to 
go on this journey with my husband, Mayor. I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to wreck our lives because as a result, we're building something really, really, really beautiful. I never, ever, ever thought I would say that I'm a grateful sexaholic. And I am, I am today a grateful sexaholic. You know, Mayor goes to sleep with the kids on most nights and he gets to do gratitudes with my children. My daughter's eight and my son is six and they're doing gratitude lists every single night. I wouldn't change that for the world. I wouldn't change that for the world. I get to apologize when I make a mistake to my children. I am able to set my ego aside and show up in the best way I know how. And I get to be a part of this journey with all of you. And I am so extremely grateful that I had the opportunity to share. I hope I made sense and um, that'll pass. Thanks, Mary and Hadessa. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Thanks Thank for you sharing. so much for sharing. Incredible, incredible. That was beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thanks so much for your shares, guys. Hadassah, you did it. Thanks for sharing. Thank you again. Um, I know that uh, I can share the sentiment of many people here. I heard words today um, that I needed to hear. Um, and it's when you see couples uh, practicing the 12 steps, um, you right. can identify with it yourself. And um, it gives us all hope, very much so. And I see um, a great deal of hope in you both. Thank you very much for your share. Um, we'll now start uh, the question and answer part of our program. One question per person, please. The goal is to finish no, mate, no later than uh, 50 minutes uh, past the hour. A few reminders in participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery and healing, how to apply the 12 steps of traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. Uh, crosstalk means interrupting, giving advice or criticizing another person's share. If someone feels another another is getting too explicit, they may signify by saying, my hand is raised, at which point moderator may consult with a group conscience. Please unmute before asking your question. Who would like to be the first person with a question for Hadessa and Mia? Can I go? Go for it. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Aaron Shulman. I'm a big recovering sexaholic. Um, Mayor and Hadassah, both of you, exceptional shares. Thank you so much. Um, I did not know that it's going to be on the topic of intimacy, which is something that I'm struggling very much to understand. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I heard both both of you, the point of view that you both pointed out. Um, I have a question. Um, knowing you for the past few months, um, Mayor basically mentioned about not 
worrying or stepping into the religious aspect of Hadassah. Um, I'm just curious because I'm going through the same situation now in my own marriage. Um, what about the message to the kids, the mixed message? Um, I have a lot of trauma from my parents having mixed messages. What about the mixed message to the kids where they see that one, one parent has one how should I call it, religious practice and the other one um, doesn't keep to it or breaks it or like it's it's not it's not on the same page. Will will that like how 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 is that gonna work out? Thank you for your question. So I have two uh, quick answers for that. And one is is that we're not in control of our kids' destiny either. We, we have zero control. If we believe that God runs this world or a higher power, then their life is already written or will be written. It's not our business to try and figure out what's going to be with them and their religion. We don't know where their life's going to take them. And that's, that's none of my, my, I have to be a healthy parent, which goes to the second part of the answer. For me, if I work a, a program that allows me to be a healthy and a stable parent, then I don't have to worry because if I feel like I want my kids to follow my direction and I feel, if my kids see that I'm healthy and they see that I respect my wife no matter what, they're going to want to be like me. They're going to want to follow my footsteps because they see that no matter what my wife does, I treat her with respect and I don't try to control and they're going to want what I have. So I'm not going to worry about them. I'm not going to worry about the future. I'm going to worry about being a healthy person today, which gives them the best shot of being healthy and making the right decisions that, that I would feel would be right based on my upbringing. Yeah, I wouldn't answer any differently except for uh, we're very honest. My daughter has asked me multiple times why I dress certain ways and I tell her it. This is what I struggle with. I'm not afraid to be honest with my children. And if you're consistent with your honesty I, and you let go of controlling the show, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Thanks, guys. Next, we have a question from Bashana Yellowheart. If you'd like to go ahead and unmute yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks for your service. Uh, I am really speechless, Amir and Hadassah. I'm really speechless. So inspiring and so motivating. Uh, I'm Rachna from India, recovering and blessed lustaholic and sexaholic. And my sobriety date and essay journey started 25th May last year. I'm mentioning this uh, deliberately because I heard from me that uh, you people uh, maintain abstinence, as it is also said in the solution. And we are also maintaining uh, I am the essay in uh, us, and my husband is SNON. He's in the meeting also, but from different devices as of now uh, because of the anonymity and India things. And he's also he's in, in his other addiction program, and I'm also in other Anon program. So these things are there. So I need to hear more about uh, um, what was it like if you lusted 
after your husband hadasa in the initial days of your recovery i am in abstinence we are in abstinence for a year now and it was not at all good i was confronted by my husband and that was the rock bottom that it's enough enough i need to stop somewhere it's a problem and i need help and that's why i found sa and i'm here with you all but uh, with with time and uh, in in few days or a few months we got to uh, you know uh, we we started talking nicely with a smiling face with each other and in our own programs and also the abstinence so i i will really appreciate if you uh, bring uh, something more from you both uh, about lusting after your husband sometimes it's not too much i keep on sharing with my sponsor and i'm uh, on step 1 since this morning so i will really appreciate if you put some more light on it thank you uh thank you for sharing so for me lust really is interchangeable whether it's with my spouse or with people outside of my marriage i have to surrender lust regardless and for me that's why i needed to take a break from any sexual activity for me when i tried to engage in any sexual behavior I couldn't control my lust outside of the bedroom and so I realized that I I I just I don't have progressive victory over lust when I engage a little bit right now. So th- those are my limitations today. I I work very hard on trying to get to that place. I am dealing a little bit with the opposite effect now with the sexual anorexia part. I work uh with one of my sponsees now through the sexual anorexia book and I try to attend meetings with that focus. I don't have enough ESH in terms of like sharing um my victories there because I'm not there yet. So I mean that's really all I have on the matter and I'm happy to talk to you more um outside of this meeting if you'd like. Yeah, sure Hadassa, that would be really helpful. If you can give me your number in private, that would be really helpful. Sure. I've I'll heard you before it. also and I really loved your shares. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, we have Jessica G next. If you'd like to unmute yourself and and uh, ask your question. Thanks. Um I'm in the car so I'm going to keep it really vague, but uh, I really appreciate your qualifications. I I'm sitting here just sort of like with my jaw dropped open. Um I'm an S and on. Um I have an essay next to me and um I think my biggest question was I really identified with well I really identified with the like I start pushing then that you know he gets angry and goes from you know 0 to 100 and you talked about boundaries being the thing that created intimacy and I was wondering what kind of boundaries you implemented if you did them in therapy um I think cuz I'm struggling with the why not the who the where the when but the why um the most and i'm struggling with the intrusive thoughts um to the point where i mean i'm really been reduced to a shell of myself um how i mean it sounds like you kind of explained the why which was there was no boundaries and no real intimacy and i can't seem to help myself as far as asking questions or talking about it because i think about it all day long 
And how did you create those boundaries and what kind of boundaries did you create? Because intimacy is ultimately the goal. And for us not to go from like really loving to the other side of things where the D word and all that stuff comes up and that it gets volatile and like, it's very like back and forth and like whiplash and safety is a really big thing for me. Um, I think, but like, I, like our histories are very the same, much the same and safety is probably the most important thing to me in life. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to, well, one, ask you um um mirror am i saying it right um how did you handle the intrusive thoughts in the beginning because it's been three months since discovery and hadassah um what you were talking about with the boundaries what kind of boundaries you created i know that's sort of a double question but um you know and and will knowing the why help me or set me free in any way Thank you. Um, so I'll say a few things. So first of all, the, the intrusive thoughts sometimes still come. The difference is, is that now I'm okay with them. And now I know that it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And it doesn't necessarily have to really, you know, affect me. Um, and there's, I'll give an example. Um, I don't even think Adasa knows this story. Um, but there was a time where we, had, we live in an apartment and I was going to work. And as I was leaving, she was on a meeting and I heard her sharing. And I felt like she shared something about me that wasn't, I don't know if it was a meeting with her sponsor. And I felt like it, it was the opposite. Like I thought I was the nicest person. Well, but she shared that I did something like in a horrible way and I didn't really think so. And I got to my car and for the first two minutes of driving, I was like, what the hell? Like, I go out of my way and then this person's talking bad about me, right? And this person's saying this. And, but then I stopped and I said to myself, one second, what is all of this? All of this is my ego. I, if, I, if I feel like I did the right thing, what do I care what, what other people think about me or what she says to other people? It's my ego. I don't want people in her program who don't even know me or her sponsor to think that I'm a bad person. So I'm going to allow that to ruin my day. I'm going to go to work in a bad mood. All of that is literally my ego. And when I realized that, I completely calmed down. I said, okay, there's, I know where this is coming from. So that's what I do now. I dial back and I try to figure out where, because it's always coming from somewhere. And usually it's ego, even the fear, it's from ego. And when it comes to boundaries for me, I have to be careful that it's not controlling. So what I could do is I can, I can request but it doesn't mean that she has to follow. It's up to me then to decide, right? So there was someone that she went to a meeting with that she was acting out with, that she shared, and she shared with me in therapy that she acted out with this person in the meeting. So after speaking to my sponsor, I asked her, like, I would, I would really rather you didn't go back to this meeting with this person that you acted out. And she said, okay, thanks for sharing. And she went back to that meeting. Right? She said, I'm going to talk to my sponsors, my people, and I'll decide what to do. At that point, I, it's my decision. Do I, do I, am I okay with the fact that she's talking to her sponsor or do I want to walk away? No one, every single day that I stay in this marriage, it's my decision. No one has a gun to my head and telling me, Mayor, you're not allowed to leave Hadassah. So if I'm going to stay in the marriage, I don't have a right to be resentful for what she does. Because I'm deciding to stay here. I'm choosing to stay here. 
I have a right to protect myself and to decide to leave. I can get up and walk out right now. If I don't, I can't also be resentful. It doesn't work that way because I can't choose to to stay after she did something that I didn't like and also be resentful. That to me is just, it, that that's crazy. That was the old me. So I can make a request. She can decide to honor or not. I decide what to do afterwards. I don't force her to stick by it, but I have to, I have to make the decision. And once I do, I no longer can be resentful because it was my decision. The control is in my hands. Now, oh, whoa, I feel like I don't have much to share after that. But I think for me, the the boundaries I like to hold are, like he said, we focus on today. So if there's something that I've been dishonest about, I'm happy to get honest about that. But my boundary is I'm not going to sit in the past. I'm not going to keep revisiting and revisiting and revisiting because at the end of the day, that's not helpful to any of us. At the end of the day, if you believe my step one, if you believe that I was completely and totally powerless, then you believe that that I wasn't I wasn't trying to hurt you. I did. I did hurt you. And I, I hold myself accountable to that. But staying stuck in that space, I don't think it's helpful for either of us. So for me, I'm happy to share and get honest about what's which I'm struggling with today. But going back and festering like up old skeletons, that's the a boundary that I have a right to. And the other thing is is that I, I have a right to say no. So there is uh, many times that we have tried to take our sexual uh, relationship a little bit further. And I had to stop in the middle and say, I can't handle this. And that is a boundary that he has to keep. And he has to be able to take his hands, literally pick them up and say, okay, like I am. And it was hard. It was hard for both of us. It was hard for me to say it. It was hard for him to accept it. Um, that was really a strong boundary that comes to mind when I was thinking about boundaries. Thanks. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. And that last thing that you said was what I expected to hear and kind of didn't want to, <laughs> but it's good for me. So I needed to hear it. So I guess I have an amends to make. It. Thanks. Izzy H, if you'd like to unmute yourself and ask your question. Hi, uh, everyone. Thanks for sharing. Um, great, great uh, session. Um, I actually only heard a dot, so um, I missed the first part, but I think in the few answers I've heard, I've seen some uh, great um, SNR and uh, levels. So this question is more to Mayor. It's actually 180 degrees from the, the last part of the last answer. How, how do you take when uh, sometimes you're, you're in true intimate moments well, you know with the definition of intimacy nothing sexual no doubt about it uh do you ever get triggered and you're just trying to be intimate i'm talking about the the sex addict you you're just or you want a little intimacy the addict and and you know 100 that it's coming from a a safe vulnerable uh non-sexual uh, place. Well, I don't know if the sex could can all that a hundred percent, but let's say you think so. The other one gets triggered. Is is there anything you do, Mayor? I'm just, so I'm I'm asking if you uh you get triggered in that sense when it's pure intimacy and how do you handle that? Thank you. So um I I so I think that the the best uh lesson that I learned was when my wife and I decided to be abstinent 
Um, and I walked after you made the decision, I walked out and I called my sponsor. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, I'm 30 years old and now I'm like, that's it. Like I'm cutting off sex from my life. This makes no sense. Um, and he asked me, he said to me, if your wife was to get into a car accident today and make her cripple, she'd be in a wheelchair and would not be able to have sex with you. Would you divorce her? And I said, of course not. I would stay with her. He's like, okay, so she's a cripple. Like that's how you have to look at her. She's a cripple. She's paralyzed. She can't do what you think that you would want. So I'm not triggered because I, I understand. Um, I, I don't necessarily understand, but I'm able to realize that all of this is not about, it's not about me and it's not personal. And it's really, really, you know, like he said, I just have to imagine that she's in a wheelchair and I have to just work around it, work with it. Um, you know, and again, because we are, we're honest about it and we're not, we don't try to, you know, control it. We'll be, we'll have a conversation. We'll talk about it, whether it's after or the next day. So me personally, I, I don't get triggered um, in the bedroom around intimacy because we, we really, really have a lot of honesty about it. Okay. Uh, I think that kind of helps. Great. Thanks. Looks like we have time for a couple more questions. Esther S., would you like to unmute yourself and ask a question? Yes. Thank you so much, Mayor Hazafa. I really, really look up to both of you. Someone very inspirational in recovery. I love the way both of you work your program. It's truly, truly inspiring. Um, I guess my question is, you, you spoke about um, specifically, like, Adasa, you spoke about intimacy with self before having intimacy with others. What are ways that you work on intimacy with yourself to be able to later on build that future relationship, whether someone is single, or is, I'm single, um, but whether married or non, not married? How can we do that? Great question. Happy to see you here. Um, so for me, I wasn't in touch with my emotions and my feelings for a very, very long time because I was numbing out in active addiction with lust, drugs, alcohol. I, I wasn't in touch with my emotions. So for me to restore intimacy with self, I needed to learn how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, to sit in the silence. So for me, what that looks like is I will use uh, inventorying my feelings through art as a really, really strong way of connecting my feelings, of sometimes uncovering feelings that I didn't even know were happening inside of me, to sitting, literally to sit in front of what I created and to just say, okay, this is what's going, going on inside of me. And to just, to just accept it. To accept it without judgment and to, to give myself self-compassion and self-love. Um, I have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of self-hate. And, and, you know, I committed to, for example, not looking in mirrors anymore when I get dressed in the morning. That's my intimacy with self, learning to love myself and to accept myself just as I am. It takes a long, long time and it is progress, not perfection. And I work at it every single day. And I listen to my sponsor and I listen to my therapists and I listen to my husband. I listen to people who have what I don't have in that area. And I and I try different things. It's not, it's not gonna happen overnight, you know. I, I was literally pushing Hadassah away for years. 
So listening to the inner voice inside of me is going to take time and uh, just be patient. Thank you. Mayor, how do you do it? Um, I, I think that it's, for me, it's really just being honest with myself. Um, and it's being okay with how I, how I feel and how I felt. And it's, it's be, it's acknowledging that maybe, you know, if I have a self-esteem issue or something else is going on, it's okay. I just don't take it out on myself. Like I can understand it, see where it's coming from. And it's, again, like Adasa said, for me, it's also a daily struggle, you know, and especially being an SNN and, you know, not necessarily feeling, you know, worthy um, for a lot of your marriage. It, it can mess with my mind. Um, but being able to be honest with myself, with Adasa, being able to lean on other people and program when I'm struggling, not keeping it to myself, you know, it, talking it out really gets me through it. Um, and just, I lean on other people. I lean on other people because I, I can't do this alone. Without other people in recovery, I would not be here today. Without reaching out through WhatsApp, through GroupMe, making phone calls, I wouldn't because this this is much bigger than me um, and I need to just surrender it. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.